So, we continue with our series on Ephesians. And the series is called The Habit of Mind. And we started off last week saying that actually the, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ has to be transforming our lives in order for us to be in that place, to be going and blessing the world and offering that as good news rather than just good information. And um, I, I, I started off by scratching the surface a little bit last week by saying that what does that mean then for us? Um, and and it, why, why is Paul so so keen that, that, that the recipients of his letter in Ephesus get, get this right. And I, I, I've read the book of Ephesians again this week, several times and different parts of it. And it's, it's fascinating how to, to see that, that the Apostle Paul is quite keen because he, he has experienced this new life in Christ himself in a special way. And therefore, he wants to impart that, that blessing. So, so we said that, that we, well, I said last week that chapter 4 starts with that therefore. And that therefore is the hinge that is based that actually, because you have been made alive in Christ, therefore, you walk a walk worthy of the calling that you have received. And that's the beginning of chapter 4. And what does that look like? Well, it looks like very clearly that actually it's not just a, a, an optional thing. It's, it's, it's a calling. It's, it's this, is our response towards the, the, the whole thing that what Christ has done for us. So if he has given us life, then our response is that we are going to live the life worthy of the life that Christ has given us. And I said last week that actually, theoretically, it all sounds good. But there are elements here that, that Paul is challenging, not only the church, but the culture that the church is living into, that actually that's where the rubber hits the road. And that's where the gospel becomes good news because that's where it brings transformation. And that's where the church of God expects for it to bring transformation. Otherwise, it's not any more good news. It's just another good piece of information. And when God sent Jesus into the world to be good news for the world... God's intent was not for it just to be Jesus one amongst others so we can pick and choose. The reason why we say Jesus hope of the nations is because we know that he is our only living hope. Do we believe that? And again, I... I, I the, the challenging thing for me this week has been, as I've been preparing, and my heart actually to share this and preparing for what I'm about to share, is that it is very well accepted that the gospel is good news for them, people who are detached from us. But when it comes to be good news for myself, 
it's a little bit more difficult. And that's why I was scratching my head last week when I was going through some of the things that Paul is challenging the believers because actually I know that that's, those are the areas of my life where I want to see the gospel become good news and transform me. So today we, we're going to be dealing with, with some other things and, and some themes that come from Ephesians chapter 4. But we should not forget that actually the message of Ephesians is quite relevant for us today. This was a very dynamic city, uh, was a transportation hub, and actually was for its time was quite developed and was quite advanced. I mean, technology was not there, but they had other things. And for, for the Ephesians was the, this whole idea that Anything goes. Anything is permitted. We've got this freedom because we are the Ephesians, you know. We, we have invented freedom. We expect people to... And, and Paul is, is trying now to challenge the church that actually have set an allegiance with Christ. They've come under a different reign, Paul says. They've come under the reign of Christ. To the point that they have been made alive. So they've not just come, but they've been made alive in Christ. And the expectation then is that there needs to be change. The expectation is that when I come to Jesus, I don't just come to him with a shopping list of the things that I need. But I bring myself to him and say, God, these are my soft spots. These are my blind spots. These are my weaknesses. These are my strengths. How can I allow the gospel to be good news and set me free to be living a life that is worthy, worth of the calling that I have received. I've been praying Ephesians chapter um, 3, verse 14 to 21 throughout the week. Um, and today we're going to, I'm going to say it as a blessing uh, towards the end of the service. But chapter 4, Paul says, As a prisoner for the Lord, therefore I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you received. And then he talks about hum humility, gentleness, patience, and all those things that come with that. And then he talks about the importance of the unity of the body of Christ. So we've got there the way that God has gifted the church with things and, 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 and gifts to enable the building up of the church. Because actually, it is in God's plan, it is in God's will, it is in God's idea that not only we embrace Christ, but we, in, we grow in Him. I was reading this week that it's not only that when we have become children of God, the act of adoption is not just that statement that we are children of God, but it's that act of becoming 
children of God. That, that kind of daily, daily constant awareness and, and uh, tuning that actually we, we become children of God. And that's in a process of becoming. So yes, God has declared us his children, but then we bear his identity and we become his children. And there is, there is that element here that we see that, that Paul is, is, is encouraging the, the, the Ephesians. He knows that the source of our calling is Christ himself. So when he talks about the, the word that I said last week, uh, live a life worthy, that's the word that is used in Greek for that. It's, it's of equal weight. Axios is, is the Greek word. It's equal weight. So your, your life needs to be in equal weight with the calling that you have received. And then he carries on uh, to talk about what does it mean to, to be... Um, wh- what does this look like? Wh- what is this life worthy of the calling mark, marked as... Um, Let's, let's read a little bit, chapter 4, verse 17 to 32. Um, I think it's page 823 in Church's Bible. Is it? 826, sorry. Oh, you've got it there. Sorry, Andy. Andy has been very keen to, kind to put the, the uh, Church's Bible's number there. Um, let's read this, and then we're going to pause and pray. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all the sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds and put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness." Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands, and that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, 
but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with those forms, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. And breathe. Well, may God's name be blessed through the public reading of his word. So here we are, God. With this letter that Paul is writing to the Ephesians. Lord, would you help us not to be weighed down by the way of our shortcomings and shortfallings? But through your spirit, would you allow us to embrace the freedom and the life that Jesus gives us through his spirit? And would you be glorified, not only with our attitudes, but with our actions as well? Would you help me, Lord, to speak clearly your word? And the things and the seeds that are planted in our hearts, Lord, will give fruit a hundred times for you and for your name's sake. In Jesus' name, amen. So here we are. <laughs> Paul is very clear in his approach. The source of the calling, of this calling that he is He's reminding the Ephesians, is, is no one else apart from Christ himself. Otherwise, it's futile. It's a waste of time. The source of this calling that you have received is only Jesus. And we, we act in response to that because actually, as I said last Sunday, that verse is that we love because Christ first loved us. And, and the shape of this calling is, it's in Paul's heart, and you can, you can understand why. The shape of this calling is actually expressed only in the unity of the Spirit. He goes on in the beginning of chapter 4 about one body, one Spirit, God the Father, and all of those things. And then it's the fellowship of the Spirit that is, is created. Now, in verse 3 here... Paul has talked about this unity as a possession to be kept. So he's very precious about the, the, the unity that, that is something that is kept. But it's not only that. In verse 13 here, we see that actually it's not only kept, but it's a goal that we strive all together to, to keep. So this is not contradictory. This is complementary. You know, it's unity is a gift of the Spirit, I've written here, by that which the Spirit gives us. All the gifts, and those gifts are in the fullness 
of what God's Spirit gives us. And they are perfected by our own commitment, will, and effort. And what is Paul encouraging the Ephesians? Paul is encouraging Ephesians to grow. Now, God has been challenging us as a church in this, to grow. And it's not just grow in numbers. We've said that grow in our own knowledge and in our own maturity of of Christ. But the challenge is that in order for us to grow, there, there needs to be some allowance here of God's Spirit to be at work in our lives. And the thing that Paul has to remind the Ephesians is a very real for them. They have come back from an old life and have embraced the new life in Jesus. And Paul has to say to them, remember where you've come from to where you belong now. The old self and the new self. Now, there's other analogies that he uses for this. But the, re- the reason why he goes about the Gentiles and what they, they, they qualify as is just to remind them, the Ephesians, where they've come from. What they've wasted their time and their lives on. This is the old self. This is something that they've tried on their own. But actually, forget about it, Paul is saying. You have been made anew in Christ. So, where have they come from? They've come from a place where actually... Their thinking was futile. They've come from a place where they've been separated from the life of God. They've come from a place of having hardened hearts. They've come from a place that they've lost all the sensitivity. They've come to the place where they've given themselves to sensuality. Until the moment that they met Christ. And Paul says, but you have not known Christ this way. And because you have not known Christ this way, things have to change. And you've got an option. You've got an option here. You embrace the Holy Spirit who gives you life or you grieve the Holy Spirit? You resist the devil or you give a foothold to the devil? I'm I'm always told for thinking in binary terms uh, this or this. But for me, I I cannot go. I don't think Paul is giving there a third option here. Whether you you embrace the freedom that you've got in the life that Jesus comes, or you carry on burdened in the futile pursuits of whatever you think might be the next best idea. And even in that, you're lost in in lust and and whatever. 
um, continual lust for more. You, however, did not know Christ that way. Isn't that amazing that the apostle is marking this occasion for them on their behalf just to remind them that actually, old self, that's how they were. They've come to meet Jesus. They've embraced his life. And now, go for it, guys. But the temptation is to always go to the old wardrobe when you've got new clothing, clothes. Two and a half weeks ago, I had to go through all my clothes. And I took a lot of stuff to charity shop. And for most of them, I felt very sorry. Not because I was taking it to the charity shop, don't get me wrong. But there was this connection. And there was history. I wore this tie when I was in Bible school in Hungary. I've never worn that tie after that, ever. I had to go. There were clothes there that they were not even for charity shop. They had to go to the bin. But still, they're so, they've got such a big sentimental value that how do you depart on that? And I've got a set, I've got a suit that I bought three years ago that I've never worn. When I tried it three weeks ago, it was too, too hot to wear it because it's more of a winter suit. I'll wear it one day. But as I was preparing for this all the new, this was what came to mind because it's very easy to feel sentimental and, and hug the old clothes that you don't want to detach because you've worn them for a long time. And God is saying, no, I want for you to put these new clothes that I've bought for you with my own blood, with my death and the resurrection. Put it on. And you say, no, 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 but this jumper, remember, 1937. Jill? And God says, no. That's old. This is not, this, this is not how you knew Christ. However, you did not come to know Christ that way. New. So, what does that look like then? I've been in the UK for nine and a half years, and it's very rare, even at the Baptist College, that I came across or I heard the word sanctification. I think the, the tendency has been, sanctification is, is this, this uh, idea that we daily become um, holy before God. We sanctify ourselves. And, and the, the, the idea is that because we, we have always given the vibes that Christianity has been about do's and don'ts, we've always shied away 
from this idea that actually in Christ, not only we are justified, so not only Christ brings us before the Father, but we are sanctified. And the reason why I come to that word today is because actually changing the clothing, changing the new human from old to new human, from old to new man, from old to new woman, is this process of sanctification. And the, the most freeing thing about this is that I, the only thing that I have to do is to allow God to give me that life. The rest, God has already dealt with and sorted it out. So when he's talking about this new man, new woman, new human, he's all sorted. You don't have to worry. I don't have to worry. All you need to worry about is your attitude about this invitation for life and freedom. All you need to worry about is your thinking process, is your, the way that you, you, you deal with this. Do you want it or not? That's what if Paul is saying to the Ephesians. And that's why he needs to start it with those three chapters of saying who God is and what he has done. Because that's pivotal for our life. So what does it look like then in, in real money? Well, he has to challenge them. The real money is speech. The real money is temper. The real money is work ethics. The real money is relationships. That's how it works. That's where you see that actually you are not embracing the old jumper, the old self, but actually you have embraced life in Jesus. So speech, that's tricky. Temper, Mediterranean. Work. And the relationship that comes with that. And the way that we relate to one another. Why has Paul got to challenge this? Because these are the areas where the gospel needs to change the, 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 the community in Ephesus. He is a pastor. He notices that these are the areas, and therefore he knows also what the, the attacks and all the pressure points are from the outside. And he's just reminding them that actually to be embracing the life in Christ is to be countercultural. Otherwise, the gospel becomes hopeless. So how does the gospel transform my speech? The way I talk, the way I say the words. How does the gospel transform my temper, 
Paul says it is okay to get angry, but not cause it, not allow it to cause sin. Oh, how does the gospel transform that? We are at work Monday through Friday, up to 70 to 80 hours with clock. How is the gospel transforming my work ethic? How is the gospel transforming our relationships? In a lot of conversations, sometimes I hear that actually, I, I, I hear it in myself as well, so that you know, is that this is me, this is who I am, do whatever you want, I'm not going to change. Well, doesn't this make the gospel hopeless then? Because if the challenge here is for us to change, to, to be transformed, to be renewed in our minds, then actually that's an excuse that we use because those are the areas that the gospel is challenging me and therefore I don't want to deal with that. I'll finish with... Um, saying that I, I came across yesterday from Ravi Zacharias. He had put it on his uh, Facebook page. True freedom is not the liberty to do whatever we want. It is the strength to do what we should. That is also true bravery. May God grant us that strength today. Amen.